Today we're looking at what if I knew I was going to suffer? What if you knew you would suffer? And the truth is, we already know the answer to this question. We know the answer because we know that everyone suffers in life. It's just a matter of time. Everyone has experienced suffering in our life. And there's all kinds of different suffering that we can experience. Some of us have emotional suffering. It's the loss of loved ones, of broken dreams, and betrayals like we spoke of last week. Deep emotional wounds that leave scars that for some of us, we've never gotten over. For some of us, we're still suffering from events that happened decades ago. For some of us, it's physical suffering, illness, disease, accidents, and death. And, and as you age, unfortunately, this one you get to know really, really well. You know, about a year and a half ago, I had plantar fasciitis. Never heard of it before. But I'll tell you, it's, it's somehow it's the tendons or the muscle in the bottom of your foot tighten up. Man, when I'd get up in the morning, I would crawl from my bed to the bathroom. It hurt so bad. I thought, what in the world has gone wrong with my body? And then I was just told, well, it's just you're old. Okay, thanks. That's encouraging. <laughs> and there's more to come. All right, that's making my day. But we all experience suffering physically, sooner or later. Some of us experience financial suffering. Some of us are under-incomed. In other words, we really just can't meet our bills, and we suffer from not having the ability to do the things that we need to do. Some of us have debt that's been racked up by unwise choices in our lives, and, and it's keeping us from a preferred future. And some of us have actually experienced bankruptcy when we said we have to start over, and we've lost everything. But it's suffering. And then there's relational suffering, loneliness, broken marriages, broken families, broken friendships, and we've all had them. Our lives are littered with them. All of those... I would put in the category of pain. We all know that we will experience pain in our lives. As parents, we know it. That's why we give advice to our children. I mean, that's why we tell our kids, don't run with scissors. Okay. Have you ever met anyone who's been stabbed by scissors while someone was running? I haven't. But we will tell our children, don't run with scissors. Now, some of our advice is really good. You know, hey, look both ways before you cross the street. Brilliant advice. Brilliant advice, and we know why we have that advice. But we have created a culture that has either warning signs or warning labels or warning information for people. And the whole point of it is that we don't want people to suffer. We don't want people to experience pain. I want to show you some signs. Some of them are real familiar to you. Some of them may be new for you. But, but here's one. We've all seen this. Warning, slippery when wet. If you go into a store and they're mopping the floors, they'll put up that nice little sign on the floor for you to make sure what? That you don't fall down and experience pain. Here's another one for you. Danger, thin ice, keep off. Right now in Minnesota, that's really important. The ice is changing, right? Here's one, and I'm going to have to actually get my glasses out to read it because it's like micro print, but it's really good. Sprouts. Are a raw bean sprouts are a raw agricultural product and may contain harmful bacteria, and I can't pronounce those, so I'll keep going, and have been linked in, to serious injury and death 
pregnant women, infants, children, elderly, and persons with lowered resistance to disease have the high risk of harm, which include, this is really awesome, bloody diarrhea, vomiting, fever, dehydration, um, more words that I can't explain, but they're cool syndromes you should have, not have, I don't know, miscarriage and death. You know what this all means? Our kids are right. When they tell us, I shouldn't eat my vegetables, they're bad, they're right. (laughs) Who would have thought sprouts could kill you? Now here's some others for you for fun. Warning, do not hold the wrong end of chainsaw. (laughs) Brilliant. You're only going to do that once or maybe twice, but then you won't do it ever again, right? Here's Here's another one for you. This one. I'm not even sure why they felt the need for this warning label. And I'm going to make it bigger. (laughs) Come on, really? Doesn't it make you just want to call up that cleaners and go, hey, have you had a person choke on a hanger before? I'm just kind of curious, you know? We want warning signs in our life because it keeps us from experiencing pain. I mean, if our life said this, if we had a place where during the middle of our path, it said, hey, if you want to go to the left, great, but you're going to experience suffering. If you go to the right, you'll experience prosperity. I'm thinking the majority of us would choose to go to the right. I have an aversion to pain. I have an aversion to suffering. Those aren't on my list of things I need to do this week. And we would choose prosperity. You know, sometimes I wish the Bible had a warning. It said, warning, following Jesus may lead to suffering, persecution, and death. But it doesn't come with one. This morning, we're really going to be talking about spiritual suffering. All the other suffering I mentioned before are just part of life. It happens day-to-day basis in our lives, and we can't do anything about it. But spiritual suffering is, is a whole different issue. Spiritual suffering is caused because of my faith in Jesus. I might not be able to control, can, can be in control of disease in my life, I may not be able to be in control of broken relationships because, hey, I only control half of that situation. But spiritual suffering, I am completely in control of because it's a choice I'm making to follow Jesus. Choosing to follow Jesus may lead to suffering. And the Bible doesn't have a warning label on the outside. You know why? Because all the warnings are on the inside. If you read through your Bible, if you read through the New Testament, you will find that there have been warning signs given to us that are incredibly clear, that we shouldn't be surprised, that it shouldn't be a, man, I didn't know I was going to have to do that if I followed Jesus. In Luke 9, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's just done finished preaching to the crowds and meeting with them, and he, and he asked them the question, Who do the people say I am? Who does the crowd think I am? And they said, well, 
Some of them think you might be Moses. Some of them think you might be Elijah. Some of them think you might be John the Baptist, which is really bizarre because they were both alive at the same time. That would be a hard one to pull off. And then he asks his own disciples, well, who do you think I am? And Peter finally musters the courage and says, well, I believe you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And he goes, Peter, you know something that no one else knows. Now don't tell anyone. And then he gives them this instruction. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Then we read in John, remember what I have told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus gives the warning to the disciples. So here's the question we still have to wrestle with. Why do people choose to suffer? We know it happens. Let me give you some reasons, and you may come up with others, but here's a few. For the thrill, to make a difference, for approval, for duty, for myself, just so that I can say I accomplished it, I did it. I mean, I put the people that run marathons in this category. <laughs> Why do you suffer? That's just unnecessary. I have a car. I can drive there. There is no reason to run there. Okay? One of my friends, as we were coming out of high school, decided he was going to join the Navy, and his plan was to become a Navy SEAL. So he went off and, and he got into the SEAL training program, and unfortunately, about four weeks in, during some of the maneuvers and training, he fell and shattered his leg, and he was finished. And they actually discharged him from the Navy because it was such a bad accident in his leg. He said, I so wanted to be a Navy SEAL. It was my dream. He said, however, they should have had a warning label. And the warning label would still look something like this. Attempting to become a Navy SEAL will lead to physical, emotional, psychological, and relational suffering. So this past week I did a little research on what does it take to become a Navy SEAL? Um, and I was amazed. I mean, I thought I knew. I didn't know nothing about it. So let me give you quickly some of the information that some of the things required to become a Navy SEAL. So before you can become a Navy SEAL, the first thing you have to do is you spend eight weeks of preparatory training at Great Lakes Naval Base just north of Chicago. It's, it's actually real close to where I grew up. And they spend eight weeks there basically trying to get in shape enough so that they will not die during the real training. So they spent eight weeks trying to get up their stamina, trying to make sure they can run fast enough, swim hard enough, do all the endurance during those eight weeks so they can qualify to begin the program. After those eight weeks passed, then they spent 24 weeks in basic training called BUDS, basic underwater demolition SEAL training, and out of every 100 men that try to make it through the program, one succeeds. One. One out of every hundred gets out of that 24 weeks. 
And it's the most grueling experience. My friend said, you, you can't even imagine what it was like. They just messed with you. They just wanted to break you. And, and it was even more humiliating. When you finally decided you had to give up, you were done, they made you walk out to the parade ground and ring a bell to let everybody know you quit. But one out of every hundred gets through that 24 weeks. So you think, wow, I'm a Navy SEAL. All right. No, you're not. You actually are just making it through the first stage of training. Then you spend another 26 weeks of SEAL qualification training. This is where they start to teach you all the things you'll need to know. You'll be taught languages. You'll be taught demolitions. You'll be taught to be a sniper. You'll be taught to work with dogs. All the different training that you'll have to do. You have to go through a medic course so that everyone on your team is a medic so you can take care of whoever's on the team. After that, you spend three weeks in jump school. You got to learn how to fall out of a plane and not die. So that's really important. So you go through three weeks of jump school. Just for the record, if you're doing the quick math, that's 61 weeks to become a SEAL of pure suffering and training. 61 weeks, but then you're not done. Then you get 18 months of team training on top of that. And if you get through all of that, then you're allowed to be deployed for six months where you can truly suffer and possibly give your life. That's actually three years. That's three years. And guys all the time say it is worth it. It is worth it. I haven't experienced that kind of suffering or pain. But you know, I went to seminary. (laughs) You don't know. You don't know. I had to walk to the library. I had to crack open books and read. You know, I had to learn Greek and Hebrew. I mean, some of our pastors on this staff that don't have the last name of Weinkoff didn't. Okay, so hey, you know, it was four years. You know what? There are probably some guys that should have had a warning label that said, warning, seminary may be dangerous to your spiritual health. Because it was true. For some of the guys that walked into the door, by the end of the four years, they questioned their faith because they'd been so busy studying it, so busy digging in it, so busy trying to kind of dissecting it that it became dry and dead. And they weren't even sure that they were following Jesus by the end. But the question is why? Why do we choose to suffer? whether it's to run a marathon, join the SEALs, go to grad school, take a physical job, whatever the case may be. And the answer is always the same, actually. Because it's worth it. Because I believe it's worth the work. Because I believe it's worth the pain. Because I believe it's worth the training. What if you knew you would suffer? When we look at Jesus, the answer is really easy. Jesus knew he was going to suffer. And the answer was because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. Remember I alluded in Matthew 16, it said, who do the people say I am? 
And then he continued again, teaching more. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He knew he was going to suffer. It wasn't an aha moment when the guards came and took him away. He wasn't shocked that he was whipped. He wasn't shocked that he was crucified. He knew all along. And the question is why? And, and there's many reasons to that, and Jesus described them throughout his teaching. Because he loves us. Because it was the only way for our relationship with God to be restored. Because it was obedience. Because it brought him joy. And the last one seems odd, doesn't it? It brought Jesus joy. How could it bring him joy? But the writer of Hebrews puts this into perspective. Because of the joy awaiting him, Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Yes, I'm going to suffer for a short period of time. And it is so worth it. And that experience will bring me joy in that it restores us to God. His whole mission. And it brought him joy. Think of the 11 disciples and Paul. I know I'm missing one, but last week he hung himself because of betrayal. That was Judas. But the 11 disciples all lived martyrs' deaths because it was worth it. They all died horrible deaths. Paul dies a horrible death after suffering through shipwreck, being bitten by a snake, being beaten by people, being stoned. At the very end, he gets crucified in Rome. All he had to do is say, no, I'm just kidding. I really don't think Jesus is God. And he could have gotten out of it. But he didn't. He had to stay true to what he believed and the suffering was worth it. This began at the very beginning for the church. I mean, Jesus said they would persecute you if you follow me. And right away in Acts, we start reading about how the church is persecuted. When Peter, Matthew, start preaching in the synagogue daily that, hey, the guy you crucified, Jesus, yeah, that guy, that Messiah guy, Yeah, you should put your faith in him. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders, man, they they were enraged. We thought we'd put an end to this. So they gathered up Peter and some of the disciples, and they took them into custody and tried to decide, so what should we do with them now? I mean, we thought we were done with this. We put Jesus to death, and now they're starting up. And they have this conversation, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 6. And and one of the Pharisees, by the name of Gamaliel, talks to the Pharisees and says, listen, before we do anything rash, before we, we kill these men and make them martyrs, let it go. We've had uprisings in the past. We've had people come along and say that they were the leaders or that they had spiritual truth. And, and when they died... Their followers just kind of dispersed and it was okay. So this is the advice he gives to the Jewish leadership. So my advice is leave these men alone. 
Let him go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it'll soon be overthrown. But if it's from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. That would be beaten and whipped for us. Then he ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And the apostles left the council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And what did they do next? Man, we took a beating yesterday. We, we, we don't want another one of those. No, they said, nope, it's worth it. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, you can keep beating us and we're going to keep talking about Jesus. And we consider it a privilege. Now you may say, well, that's the disciples. You know, they, they didn't get paid to do it, but man, they got ordered to do it by Jesus. But the entire church and the early church had that perspective. And they experienced that kind of suffering, that kind of persecution. In 1 Peter, Peter gives advice to the church. Now, this is written somewhere around, and we don't have the hard numbers, but somewhere between 45 and, and 65 A.D. And he writes to the church that is facing persecution. It started in Jerusalem. It broke out there. Then it continued throughout the Roman Empire. And every time something went wrong in the Roman Empire, they said, and it's the Christian's fault. Get them. And persecution would break out and they would be put in prison and they would be put to death. Every time they needed a scapegoat for either the economy going badly or people raising up in rebellion, they would say, it's those Christians. They're messing us up. And they would then be persecuted. The extreme step was taken by Nero. When the entire Rome is burning down around him, he says, you know who burned it down? The Christians. And then they found all kinds of ways to persecute the church. And it went not only from being scapegoats to finally becoming entertainment. They actually used Christians as garden party lights that they lit them on fire for amusement. They had them eaten by animals in the Colosseum for amusement. So with that backdrop, we read 1 Peter. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, hardship, persecution. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Your love, you love him even though you have never seen him. Think about that. Peter's saying, I love him because I knew him. I walked with him. But you never saw Jesus. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, 
inexpressible joy. And the reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. You know what Peter is saying? It is worth it. It's worth it to follow Jesus. And it will bring you joy. Not in that moment of suffering, but in the future. So here's the question as Americans, I think we have to wrestle with. What if I don't want to suffer? I mean, most of us go, I'm kind of pain intolerant. I would prefer not to have pain in my life. I go to great measures to enjoy comfort and ease. What if I don't want to suffer? Is it unspiritual to ask God to not suffer? The answer to that is no, it's not. Jesus asked to not suffer. If you remember that night, what we call Good Friday, after the Passover meal, Jesus went out in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples to pray. And he moved off by himself a little distance because he knew it was coming. Remember, it wasn't a surprise. He knew that suffering was just around the corner. And he prayed this prayer. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, If you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. You know what he's saying? If there's a plan B, now would be the time to let me know because I would be so okay with it. You know, if there is another way that I don't have to go to the cross, I'm good. But he concludes with this one sentence. Yet I want your will to be done. Not mine. I want your will to be done. See, Jesus was not choosing suffering. He was choosing obedience to God. Most of us won't be called to choose suffering. We're called to obedience. The disciples preached about Jesus not so that they could suffer, but because of obedience. Teaching everyone what I have taught you. What if you knew you would suffer? It's been a part of the church all along. For 300 years, there was extreme persecution after the death of Jesus. Right now, around the world, there is extreme persecution. We just don't have to be facing it. Every month, 66 churches are attacked. 104 Christians are abducted and sold into slavery and prostitution. 255 Christians are killed for their faith every month. And 160 Christians are abducted or detained, and this is by the government, and imprisoned. And this happens every month. Jesus suffered. The disciples suffered. The early church suffered. And today's church suffers. And and what's the coolest part is the result is the church is growing. In some of the areas where we are facing the most persecution, the church is thriving. 
They can't stop it. In China right now, they are taking down every Christian symbol they can find. Any crosses that they have, churches that they had originally okayed are being destroyed and torn down because the church is growing out of control. And they don't know what to do about it. And the more they attack it, the more it grows. So here's the question for us as followers of Jesus. What if I'm not suffering? What I mean by is, what if I don't feel like I'm suffering? Maybe I'm suffering, I don't even know it. But, but I'm sure not suffering like those people. What if I'm, what if I'm not? When I, when I look at this path, prosperity and suffering, man, I have to say I'm probably going down the path of prosperity. I mean, that, that appears to be my life. I don't really suffer for following Jesus. No one's coming into this church to abduct me. No one's coming in here to take me away. No one's going to flog me other than Mathers. No one else is going to do anything harmful to me. The question is, is it because I'm choosing comfort over risk? Is it because I know what I'm being called to do? I know what I'm being called to give up, and I don't want to. Is it because people don't know I'm a follower of Jesus? My neighbors don't know, Doug. My coworkers don't know. I don't tell them. I, don't, I want to be politically correct. I don't want to make waves. But am I willing to suffer really isn't the question. If that's what you walk away with, you've missed it. Because here's the real question for us. Am I willing to obey God if it includes suffering. Not that it will, but if it includes suffering. But am I willing to obey God? I gave you that one sign that said prosperity this way and the trees were nice and green and when it said suffering it was all darkness, but I think it really looks more like this. Maybe in the short term there's suffering, but in the long term, remember inexpressible joy, great reward. You might experience suffering for a short time by following Jesus. But the conclusion for the last 2,000 years is it is worth it. It is worth it. You might experience all those sufferings I talked about before. Emotional, relational, financial. You may experience that if you decide, God, I'm going to do my life your way not my way. When I was at my very first church, I was dating a young lady at the time and, and um, I really kind of thought she might be the one I was going to marry. We'd had conversations about our future and, and we were getting serious. I was looking at rings, engagement rings, and trying to decide what, what ring to get her. And, and I was already envisioning you know, us getting married and what our future would look like. And, and then, then one night she asked me, so... So you have an accounting degree, right? Yeah, I have an accounting degree. Do you ever think you'd want to go back to accounting? No, I don't think I'd want to go back to accounting. I, I really think God wants me to be a pastor. And she goes, well, that's unfortunate because I don't think I can marry you if you want to be a pastor. I was really blindsided, I got to tell you. 
And after that, she goes, I think we're done. And I have to tell you, at that moment, it hurt. And I had a wrestling match with God in the short term. I can remember one day walking down my neighborhood, and I was mumbling and praying, and and I was so angry with God, I finally said, fine, if you don't want me to marry anyone, fine. I will become a priest. I will become a monk. I'll show you that I'll follow you. And just totally irrational. I got to own it. Totally irrational. But that's where I was. What I didn't know is God had a preferred future for me. Would I just follow in the midst of that? He led me to my wife, Amy. We've been married now for 28 years. We have three wonderful children. God had a different plan that was so much better than what I thought the plan looked like. And as I reflect back now, I think, you know what, if I would have married her, I probably wouldn't be in the ministry or I'd probably be divorced by now. God spared me long-term disappointment and suffering for a very short term of pain. The question always came back to, I want your will to be done, not mine. Now, I have to tell you, I haven't always made that decision. Sometimes I wrestle with God and go, I want my way. And most of us in this room have areas of our lives where we go, no, God, I I want it my way. I don't want to let go of that. I don't want to give this up. I have a dream. I have a passion. and, And your way is going to end that. No, God, I don't want to do that. It's uncomfortable. I want my way. My way is more fun. Some of us right now have to wrestle with this statement from Jesus. I want your will to be done, not mine. And it may mean for the very first time making that choice, I want Jesus to be the leader of my life, forgiver of my sins. For many of us in this room, you probably already know what you're wrestling with. You probably already know what's hard for you to let go of. I want to encourage you to say, I want God's way. I want God's plan for my life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus modeled for us obedience. The disciples modeled for us obedience. That you taught us that following you wasn't going to be always fun, but it would be always worth it. God, help us to trust that, believe that, and follow you. God, show us the areas of our lives that we have to let go of and say, not my way, but yours. In Christ's name we pray, amen.